But if we look at our websites, it's not a place where we can put out content we think people are interested in, but we build our website based on how they're searching the internet. Then we have a different, um, a different paradigm on what our website is for. Hey everybody, it's Norm Ferrar, AKA The Beard Guy here, and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. All right, I told you on Friday, this is gonna be a good episode. We're gonna be talking about content, how to create helpful content that search engines love. What can brands do better to better understand search your con uh, intent? Let me try that again. What can brands do to better understand search your intent? How can brands make content more shareable and how important is expert reviewed content? Welcome to another lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Content, content, content. Everybody's talking about, very few of us are implementing it properly. So today we're going to talk about how to create helpful content that search engines love. Our guest is a repeat guest, one of my favorite people out there. Uh, he is a writer, scientist, professor, and practitioner of search engine optimization. He lives, breathes, and eats SEO. He's the author of SEO Strategy and Skills. While serving as an adjunct professor at UCSD and CSUF, he's also building the Academy of Search while volunteering time to help improve transparency, industry standards as a agency trainer. I'm talking to you about Steve Wiedemann. He's going to be on in a second, but first let's hear from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Clear Ads. Looking to maximize your Amazon ads ROI? Well, whether you need full service or just one or two services, Clear Ads Amazon advertising experts drive outstanding results across the Amazon marketplace. With over nine years of experience, their Amazon PPC managers have helped thousands of companies to drive down their cost of sales and scale up their revenue, profits, and orders. And with their unrivaled Amazon DSP expertise, ClearAd's DSP services are tailored to your brand. You really can't go wrong. Get in touch today with ClearAd's dedicated team by visiting the link in the description or visiting clearads.co.uk. And remember, more sales, better ROI, incredible growth. Check out ClearAds today. Okay, welcome, Steve Wiedemann. How are you, sir? Oh my God, Norm, this is amazing. It's, fun it's so funny that you mentioned content because we're actually creating content right now. And Kelsey's talking about how he's got a video editor to help create more content. It's like I'm living in this meta podcast today. I'm not really sure, you know, if, if I'm an inception and Leonardo DiCaprio is going to come grab me or what's going on. But, you know, we're talking about content while we're creating content and discussing a, a, a new way to add additional content to the content we're already creating. Like, what's going on? It's hurting. <laughs> I'm old and now my brain hurts. <laughs> Thank you. Right, that's empathy. Well, I'm excited, and I'm definitely honored to, to hang out with you again. And and um, I mentioned before the show, I'm doing some work with uh, folks like Martha Stewart, and uh, we're working with uh, a lot of e-com sites that um, that have struggles with trying to figure out how one how they drive more customers to their site from search, and two, 
um, how they increase their long-term search by getting other websites to want to link and you know share. So today, I hope we get to hit all those different attributes that you know play into drawing in customers and attracting links, and hopefully just growing our online e-commerce business. You know, this is the third time you've been on the uh, podcast, and every time we we make notes. And one of the crazy things that well, first of all, you were talking about. Uh, uh, metadata before, mm-hmm. and we were, you know, oh, okay, you know, what are you going to do? How can you change it? And I thought it was useless. I thought, you know, yeah, it's kind of useless nowadays. And you showed me a technique that you were using, I think, for Skechers that doubled their sales pretty much like that. And then you said, well, we also like doubled or tripled IHOP's sales by just changing around this and this, adding a button. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, Oh my gosh. And it's so like outside of the box. Well, it's so simple, but it was incredible what you could do. So I am so excited about listening to you today. Talk about content because uh, I know Kelsey and we got Mary. I actually do. I am not kidding you, Steve. I have Mary, uh, one of our, uh, our, our uh, contractors or I, I, she's an employee. She is going to be making notes on this. So she is sitting there. (laughs) waiting to hear what you're going to say awesome. so I can see your notes at the end of this co- uh, podcast. That's how excited I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited too. This is always fun to talk about search and, and talk about content and some tricks and techniques that um, that are fun to test. And not everything works for every brand. I mean, the, the brand itself, you know, has customers who are expecting a certain um, you know way of interacting. So this will be interesting to kind of go through kind of hopefully from a beginning to end standpoint on how we, how we create great content. Yeah. And let's start kind of the, let's go backwards, bass backwards. Mm-hmm. Why do people not create content? We're hearing it all the time, content, 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 it'll help. But why are people holding off on creating content? Sure. I, I think part of it is an education piece, right? They've never been through the, the process of, creating really rich content to see what it can drive in terms of of organic traffic um, and, you know, how to do it, right? The why part, number one, right? Like you said, they, they're not really sure why they need it. Um, and then two, the how part. Um, I think I think when I, I had one client not too long ago who we did a, a full kind of site map plan for, and she was in the financial industry, and we said, okay, we've completed your entire roadmap for search. Here are the technical items to focus on. Here are where you want to go to get links that are going to drive traffic and boost your SEO. And here's a list of content that your customers are searching for that your competitors have answers to that you could probably answer better because you're one of the best at what you do. She looks at the list. She says, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm like, why not? He's like, this is just, it's way too much work. I don't want anyone else to write this because I know it wouldn't be written the way that I would write it because I know the industry and I'm an expert. Um, so I'm just never going to do this. And I went, wow, that's, that's the first time in a long time someone's actually admitted to not doing the, the content roadmap. Normally, growing up in search, I would give a, a big spreadsheet to my clients and I said, here's all the keywords that's, that could drive traffic for you. Give me a, a page on these. I'll put them on your website, I'll optimize them, and you'll appear, you know, for those keywords or, you know, the semantic derivatives of them. And, you know, I think it was about 50% of the time I never got anything back. So, ergo, the content wheelhouses of the world now to help produce and create some of that content. But, um, yeah, so that's, I think that's why 
some folks just won't do it. They don't have the knowledge to do it. And then when they find out what they need to do, they're just like, yeah, that's way too much. I don't have the, the time, the resources. Um, you know, I just don't want to do it. I'm going to go down a different rabbit hole for a sec. I get a lot of people asking me, should I use, and we have great relationship with, um, with phrase, but should I use artificial intelligence to write my information or my content? So Jasper or, or phrase right. or word or whatever. What do you think about that? I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. I think it's neat to, to draw inspiration from some of these tools. I think some of them write better titles and headings than, that I might, um, I know Google in their latest helpful content update made it very clear that they don't want you creating automated content, you know, especially at scale, right? Because if I say, hey, I'm, if I can create 200 pages of content, I know recently somebody wrote a book with Jasper, I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> but if I can, um, if I can create all that content, I could appear for all of those different keywords. The problem problem with that is that you're having robots write an entire page of content, which means in many ways, it's going to be almost too perfect for search engines and not so perfect, I think, for humans who are looking for, you know, a brand voice, a narrative. Um, if they're looking for a certain uh, writing style, it's inconsistent between the different pages that you're reading. You're like me, you follow, you follow a lot of blog posts. If all of a sudden one of your favorite bloggers writes a page that just doesn't have the same personality and voice and references. You're like, this kind of feels like it was created by maybe a robot, right? It's it's there, the content's there, and there's a lot of good points in it, but I don't I don't feel the emotion of it. So I think I think it's it's fun to explore and to draw inspiration from. Maybe even start a paragraph at a time and then rewrite some of it with your brand voice. Um, I think they're great tools. I wouldn't suggest not playing with them because I enjoy you know playing mm -hmm. with them. But um, but I would be very careful and cautious of of making that your uh, your process. Don't make your your content creation mo um, load up a bunch of keywords in Jasper and and you know uh, request two hundred pages at once and load them up. I think that that could cause some trouble and it doesn't look natural. And I think search engines gonna kind of figure that out. Like how is it that this site has zero punctuation grammar? or typos or brevity how is that possible that every single page is perfect you know yeah yeah, yeah. no uh we when we're doing something like we we do use uh both of the uh phrase and um jasper uh -huh. and we'll go through jarvis. It, it, or, yeah that's right yeah it used to be jarvis now it's jasper right <laughs> i think i got it I, but uh anyways we'll go through and we'll we'll get the summary of what we're looking for. So we help the researcher. And so we'll build out uh, the information and the bullet points, but also I think it's some um, phrase has the mind map, you know, it's like ask, answer the public where mm -hmm. instead of just giving you all these content, like, uh, you know, here, who, what, where, why with your uh, search terms, it'll do that, but it'll give you the number one blog article in that uh, for that, uh, for that piece. And so the researcher can go in and pick apart the the information that we want to, you know, copy. So, or not copy. The topics, the topics we want to include in our page. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so any, it's so easy. It's it's a yeah. lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love I love experimenting with all the different new 
tools and and a lot of it's not even AI. A lot of it's just uh, rules and logic that was created based on algorithms, right? They, they say, that, oh, it's AI um, copywriting services. But um, I kind of feel like when I when I test words and I test topics I want to write about, it's it's semi predictable and I can I can reverse engineer it just enough to know that there's a lot of rules that are built in to help create it. But you have to wonder if if there are a thousand marketers right now and they all want to rank their category page for winter puffer jackets and they type in winter puffer jackets, a thousand of them all at the same time into Jasper. Right? How similar are the results going to be between those thousand people who are punching in the same thing into a software that's using basically the same algorithm? You know, when does it become too much? And if we're all using the same tools, you know, where's the the creativity and the the uniqueness? And um, I feel like it all dies. So, yeah. like I said, I, I think they're great for drawing inspiration. Just if you're using them, you know, put your brand voice on it and rework titles, headings, descriptions, and paragraphs. You know, to follow in, um, you know, to be on brand for who you are as a company. Well, uh, last time you were on, you were talking to us about, um, I asked a question about uh, a, a blog format and we started changing that. So we launched a brand, uh, it's a soap awesome. brand, and we had somebody who was building out a funnel for us come back and say, how are you getting all this traffic? Like you've just launched, how are you getting all this, you're like a high um, a, a domain authority yeah. and we're getting like thousands of unique visitors every month. And it's all because of one thing. It's still beta. Like our site's still beta, but we've put up all this content, high quality, well-written content, the way that you laid it out the last time. Uh -huh. uh, and that's all we've done. And she was shocked. Like, Kelsey, you can come on. She said, there's no site that gets this amount of traffic. What are you doing? <laughs> content. Yeah. So anyways, I, I thought I'd just say that again, That's going amazing. back to what we were talking about the last time, but uh -huh. let's talk about, uh, let's get into this topic again today. What are brand, what can sure. brands do to better understand the searcher intent? I love that. And, and, you know, just kind of taking even one more step back. If we, if we look at our websites and I think we might've talked about this before, but if we look at our websites, it's not a place where we can put out content we think people are interested in but we build our website based on how they're searching the internet, then we have a different, um, a different paradigm on what our website is for. And I think, I think the biggest challenge, and, and I, I know we, we discussed keyword research before, but the biggest challenge I think businesses have is taking the time to take all of those different ways that people are searching and organizing that into a sitemap for their website. Instead, they just think, okay, home, products, um, you know, resources, it's just the same bland way of pushing out what you think you need to do because you've seen it on other websites, instead of just really putting that that exhaustive or extensive sitemap together so that you know. We, we talked about the Spiral Staircase Company. And I love that example because, and I'm happy to share, a, a you know, a, an example of, of what a site taxonomy or sitemap looks like from that stairway brand when we took, um, I think we took six different competitors. We filtered out all their brand names and we focused on on um, all of the keywords that they're getting traffic from. Now, the Spiral Staircase Company only had 10 pages of, of 10 different products that were fabricated spiral staircases. They didn't have any other actual content. So by, by pulling all of those different keywords in, we started to really understand 
um, where the content opportunity was, we said, oh, this is an adjective, this is a noun, um, you know, this is, oh, these are all use types. So stairways, or, or sorry, uh, uh, basement stairways, deck stairways, staircases, um, library staircases, these are all use types. Wow, they're typing steel and um, glass and, um, oh, these are materials. Let's create a section for materials and have, um, you know, a, a stainless steel spiral staircase and have pictures of this, you know, staircases here. Um, what's another one that we found in there was um, kits. People were looking for parts and and replacement things like, oh, wow, this is this is a whole other section. You do sell these, but you just have it in a, a you know, a subcategory somewhere instead of actually organizing content for it. So when we were done, we had all of these different new um, navigational elements that address the different ways that people were searching. And, and it was great because now we created some two or 300 pages, no matter how somebody was searching for what we did. And it, it basically created um, a need to redo the entire navigation based on those, those top categories. Another brand you might be familiar with is Jacuzzi, right? And we were helping them with kind of coming up with a, a site taxonomy or, or a content game plan or roadmap. Uh, based on how people were searching for hot tubs. And they were searching for two-seater hot tubs, five-seater hot tubs, hot tubs under $5,000, outdoor, indoor, exterior, right? Um, backyard. These are all the different ways that people were searching. Some of them related where we didn't need a separate page. We just needed to emphasize that other way that they were searching in a different part of that document. Um, and so you can Kind of take a look at jacuzzi today because i think they, they took a lot of inspiration from you know what what we'd put together even though they didn't most clients don't do every single thing because it's a lot of work mm -hmm. uh, but but even then now the site and the navigation is inspired by how people search the net not by how the ceo wants to publish content on the internet and i think that approach is like a mind-blowing kind of you know digital marketing element if you can get in that mindset of are people searching this do i need it on my website because if they're not searching for this and it's not helpful and it's not part of, of what's driving um, customers or attracting links, maybe I don't need it. Maybe it's not very helpful. Maybe I can take this piece and just add it as a component to some of my, my pages, um, you know, as opposed to having a separate page for things that people just aren't searching the Internet for. Anyway. So but. interesting that you said this because uh, we were looking at one of our one of our blog articles and it drove. Uh, 1,200 people, we noticed that this one search uh, uh, search phrase on this article, 1,200 people, and mm -hmm. all of us, and this uh, that was in a month, and what we did, we went back and we looked at it, and we said, all right, if it's, I'm just using this as an example, olive oil soap. Okay. We don't have a collection on our website that if people want to click on that article because they were looking for olive oil soap, we don't have the ability to click anywhere to go to an olive oil soap collection. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing anything to drive the sale. We have the content. Content was great driving, but we got zero ROI on the content. And so we just collect, we just created an olive oil collection. Now, Every soap has olive oil, but we took like 10 soaps and there's your collection now. And now we've got a call to action at the end of the, the, the blog. And there's yeah a pop-up that goes when you try to escape for your olive oil soap. 
So it's just a couple of little things that we're doing to try to get mm -hmm. people to, to buy the product. And content's great. Get people to the site. But if they don't have anywhere to click or go to, then it's just it's strictly just content and you're getting traffic, but no ROI. Oh, my God. 2005, right? We would go to TextLink brokers or um, we'd outsource to anywhere in the world that we could to just write an article. You want to appear for a keyword? Write an article. And and uh, I, I got so angry at the word article at some point that I almost refused to use it for probably, <laughs> I don't know, 10 years of my career. I said, we're not doing articles. What's the intent? Right of the user who's who's performing this query, and let's decide, you know, if this is going to be an informational or transactional page. Right? Is this is this somebody who's um, who's actually looking for a product, and we're giving them an article, like you were saying? Um, so many times I've seen that, and and so many times, and, and we might have mentioned this in the in the last podcast we were talking about uh, Belkin and Linksys, right? And they they have these wireless routers, and they said, Linksys, wouldn't it be great if if we ranked number one for the keyword wireless router, like, yeah, that would be a great uh, product category. Like, well, you know, kind of, but I think the word wireless router by itself might be a little too broad for a product category or maybe a product category alone. Let's ask some people. So we went out to Amazon Mechanical Turk. We asked 2000 people for five cents each right, in the U.S. with specific you know, demographic targeting. We asked them for five cents. Um, what would you be searching for um, if you did a, a search in a search engine for wireless router, right? What's your intent? What are you trying to accomplish? And and yeah, about half of them came back and said, yeah, I want to buy a wireless router, but only half. That means the other half of the people aren't going to click your listing when they perform a search if you're providing a product category. And what's Google or other search engines going to think if if 50% of the people really aren't looking for that uh, particular intent? It goes back to Google's Hummingbird update and them talking about um, things, not strings, right? So we came back and we said, here's here's what we need to do. If you want to rank for the term wireless router, you need to have some comparisons. You need to have a, a section on the page that goes to a whole section of your website about wireless routers, what they are, how they work. Um, you want to have the top, greatest, best, fastest one right clear at the top. So now, yes, we've got our top fastest. We've got compare. We've got learn more about routers, right? Because that's what some people who are performing that broad search are looking for, and it worked. And and so we we kind of put that whole mock up together, and we said this is this is what's going to solve for all of these different needs that people have when they're performing a search. So I think sometimes it's worth the time, depending on the category, to ask. I know if somebody's searching for a winter puffer jacket that they're most likely looking to buy a winter puffer jacket. They don't want to know what it is, right? There's no technology behind it like there is a wireless router. So you could assume that creating a product collection or a category is probably the most appropriate for that. But if they typed in something like um, how are puffer jackets made and you send them to a puffer jacket category, you know, through optimization and interlinking and all the SEOing you do to get that page to rank, you're probably not solving for what their intent is. Their intent isn't to make a purchase, but instead to understand what goes into the material of them. And that's where that supportive content underneath your puffer jacket category is going to come into play to create more helpful content so that when people are searching for the with the intent of buying a puffer jacket, that Google's going to assume you have the most helpful content. Because not only do you have a category, but you've got all this supportive pages. The what, where, how much compared to the versus, the uh, the 
the deals, the who wears them, the washing and material um, uh, cleaning kind of questions that they have, the FAQs. So having having all of that type of supportive, helpful content in a silo underneath that really competitive category of puffer jacket is going to give you the competitive advantage in a year from now when Google's figured out that you're the most helpful results uh, based on the amount of supportive content you have. And that's that's where it gets overwhelming. And that's where a lot of people who are listening are going to be like, that sounds like a lot of work. But when you look at some of these sites, Martha Stewart and Bob's Watches, and you're like, wow, this one category alone brings in millions of dollars a month and, and augmented with a paid search strategy and and a little bit of, of marketing automation and, and remarketing and, and all of the different ways that we can um, get people back to this page and get them there the first time. This page is, is worth so much revenue. Is it worth it to spend $1,000 to create a great page or $10,000 to create 10 of them? When you look back at a million dollar product category per month, every example that I've seen has shown that it's worth it. But like you mentioned, it's a lot of work and it feels overwhelming. Right, right. So we are getting down to the bottom of the hour. So uh, first of all, anybody who's got any questions or comments, questions like no matter if it's if it's rookie, newbie, you're just getting into this or you're an advanced uh, seller who does tons of content, send us the information. We got the right guy on the podcast today. So uh, questions over to Steve. We'll get to them all at the end of the podcast. Uh, the other thing is we've got an incredible giveaway. And like always, to get the giveaway or to enter for the giveaway, it's hashtag Wheel of Kelsey. Tag two people and you'll get a second entry. Steve, what's the giveaway today? We're actually going to be reviewing a website for one of your listeners. And that means our best of what we do from technology to content opportunities to what they could be doing off the website, where their competition are, are earning a visibility that might be supporting SEO. So we're going to put a whole site review together for one listener. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So you're getting it from the right guy, the right company. <laughs> so it's invaluable. Whoever wins this, uh, we should, Kelsey, can you put two entries in for us? Uh, just to, you know, so we get a chance. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's have a word from our sponsor. Then we'll come back to Steve. A big thank you to our sponsor, Post Purchase Pro the only complete A to Z done for you real email and text marketing service built specifically for Amazon sellers. Post Purchase Pro creates all of your digital assets 100% for you from marketing inserts, complete sales funnels, email follow-up sequences, and weekly email promotions. They manage and optimize everything for you to drive more sales, get higher ranking, and receive more reviews on Amazon. So check out Post Purchase Pro now to see if you too will see enormous growth like their nearly 500 clients worldwide. That's Post Purchase Pro at postpurchasepro.com slash lunch. Okay, one of the questions I had, uh, and I think we might've talked about it on one of the podcasts before, but when let's say you have a product page can, or even on your homepage, is it worth putting um, a snippet? So as you were talking about the who, what, when, why, and you've got a snippet, which if they hit the plus button, you'll, it'll drop down and they sure. can either see more information or it'll direct them over to their blog. What do you think about that strategy? 
I I think it's changed quite a bit. I think the opinions of it, the feedback from Google has changed quite a bit. The 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 idea of you know the user has to take action to see the content, or, or it's not necessarily hidden content, right? Because they can get to it, they can click and see. But if it's not immediately viewable for the uh, for the visitor, uh, Google's kind of gone back and forth. Before the the big two thousand was it fourteen mobile updates that were happening, they said. Um, you know, anything that's kind of hidden behind a tab or a accordion is going to be counted a little bit differently. And then they rolled out all these updates and they realized, hey, it's kind of a bad user experience for a user to have to scroll forever and ever and ever on their mobile device, you know, to be able to see all that content. It's it's not a good user experience. So they said, yeah, we're, we're not going to treat it any differently. Um, and then people went back to, you know, burying things and using JavaScript and and a lot of black hat SEOs were getting creative on ways that they could not have to show their content. And now Google's gone back to, yeah, we prefer um, everything be viewable for the user and we're gonna devalue content a little bit. So if you've got your best top keywords and subheadings that are behind an accordion or a tab, it's probably not gonna get counted the same way that it would if it were um, viewable without having to click on it. I think that's important when you're, and again, you're talking about product detail pages. So you're, we're looking at um, product descriptions and product videos and product reviews, all of those tabs that go into, you know, the, the product page itself. So I would take a look, this is an easy approach. I would take a look at the competition, right? For the keywords that you're trying to get your product page to appear for, look at the top 10 listings that appear in search results on a mobile device perhaps an iPhone 12 or 13, right? Take a look and um, and get an idea of, of, what's, uh, of what they're doing. Who's, who's number one and what's their approach? Who's number two, what's their approach? And then run some tests, you know, just basically take one of your product categories that, you know, maybe doesn't perform as well as others and, and roll out, you know, either the accordion tab version or uh, another approach based on what you learned and see how your users respond. Maybe run one test every month to see how um, how you might be able to add attributes that the competition's using, and see if your users like that same content or not. You know, it might just be an anomaly, or it might be something that really is helpful for your customers. But you don't have to reinvent the wheel and try to figure it out on your own. You just go to the search results and you see what what users are already responding to, because Google's displaying listings based on what users are responding to, what they like, what's helpful. So I think that would be the easiest approach. And if you're still unsure, you know, you could you could do some, uh, you know, collaborating in social media groups and Facebook groups and and Twitter groups and just ask and say, hey, SEOs or even in Quora, right? What's your opinion on this versus this? And you'll get a lot of feedback from folks that have been in the industry a while. Very good. Okay, so let's get... <laughs> you won't believe this, Steve. So, uh, uh, yep. Sorry, is that a, your audio? Steve, are you hearing a, a buzzing? I'm hearing a buzzing, but I don't think it's mine. Norm, can you uh, pause your audio yep. or uh, mute it for just a second? Yeah, I think it's Norm. So Norm, <laughs> I think either your 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 mic. Oh, I'm gonna pause it again. All right, I muted him. Um, I think the audio, <laughs> the audio outlet may maybe have come loose or something. Yeah. Is that better? So, <laughs> yes, yes, it's much, much better. I was about to add the view. You started talking and we didn't hear you. And I was like, Mr. Wiedemann has a really nice beard going in right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Norm, thank you. I really appreciate the, uh, yeah. 
It is awesome, <laughs> by the way. It's just it's just the start. We'll see. I'll see if I can pull it off or not. December 1st is the outcome. That's the date. <laughs> That's the it. date. Okay. So the the next question is how can brands make content more shareable? That's a great one. And you know what? This goes into intent, right? If if most most people don't usually link to a category page, right? It's just not something they're doing. They're shopping, they're navigating. They just don't they don't say, hey, I gotta share this page with everybody because it's it's where they're going to purchase a product. But the shareable informational content, the supportive, helpful content we were talking about can be shareable. In fact, there's there's almost an outline that you could you could build um, as you're going through and creating this type of content. I think the first thing, of course, is making sure that you've written really strong titles and descriptions that appear in search results. And we talked about this before. If you do a search for title tag principles, somewhere at the top of the search results is my little page that, that goes through what those principles are. And that includes a call to action, you know, a uh, the keyword you want to rank for and a unique selling proposition so that your listing is more clickable right because that that could play a role in them actually ending up on your page and hopefully staying there which is the ultimate user behavior signal for keyword rankings so uh, the next is going to be your your headings are you just shoving a keyword in that heading so when they get to the page they see the keyword they searched or are you writing something compelling that will get them interested and fascinated because you've got about less than two seconds to get their attention before they go back to the search results and kind of pogo stick around. So creating a really competing headline, maybe using the second most key, uh, search keyword in the keyword research that you found for that page. Then I would start with maybe a, a summary paragraph. And if you really want to get creative, and I've seen very few sites that have actually implemented this, I've always recommended it, is a copy to clipboard next to your 375 character summary at the top. You can do this if you can create this little copy to clipboard and share as much as you'd like to and you've got your you know when it's shared it shares the you know perhaps the subheading or the heading and then that short summary what's going to happen is that's going to end up as a featured answer eventually because google's going to crawl the web and it's going to see that heading or subheading and it's going to see that paragraph all across the web and and start to assume or infer that maybe that's the best answer now what's neat about getting that featured snippet that position zero is that from the data that we've seen, that makes up for 70% of voice searches. So as more people are buying the new Google Homes and Alexas and Echoes and so forth, um, and using Series and Cortanas and, and what have you, that the results are going to be inspired by the, the featured answers of that position zero from their databases. So getting that short summary in there is key is, is one of the attributes. As you keep going down the list, the next is going to be a short table of contents. And maybe your little table of contents has... Um, has keyword rich links that jump down to different sections of the page. And then you start writing your content with headings and subheadings and lists. And you use images, not just img001.jpg, but keyword.jpg. And you describe what that image is using alt tags. If it's a, a link where they're going to go somewhere else, use a title attribute on, on that image so that the, you know, the user knows where they're going to be taken. And the search engine has a little bit of a clue of what keyword um, the page that, that that link is going to take you to is all about. Uh, you continue going down that that list in your in your um, your template, and next is going to be um, your video, right? You want to make sure you've got some sort of sort of video if you can do it, because people just people are consuming content so differently, and it's not just about having one result in Google. And if we have a video, and you perform a search, now our page has a blue link and black text. It's got a, an image in the image carousel. It's got a video in the video carousel. 
or if maybe Google figures out people are doing who are doing certain searches prefer video, our little video from that page is going to be right at the top, and it's not going to be YouTube.com. It's going to be our page with our video right next to it, giving us a much more rich result and more ways that people can find our content based on, on the universal results that Google's displaying. Next, I would say is, is to think about the type of of results that we we want to appear in Google. And um, when we look at the results, is it just blue links and black text? Do we see some that have questions and answers? Do we see some with stars? Do we see some, um, you know, perhaps with other attributes like uh, event dates and so forth? What shows up, you know, on, on search results where we could run some tests of our own and put in frequently asked questions, put in um, you know, review ratings and, and reviews if it's something where maybe we perhaps we're reviewing a product or something. Um, Think about the different ways that we can, and there's a gallery for this. You can actually do a search for a Google um, rich result gallery, and you can see all the different ways that you can test how your result appears and what types of content that you could use. And as I mentioned before, test one a month, try different things and see what users respond to. All sorts of new types of ways to do this. Now, the last thing I think is, is probably one of the most important in 2023 coming up here is thinking about this whole idea of knowledge graph. It's been out for a while. I mean, it's, Jesus, almost nine years now that that people have been talking about knowledge graph and um, and entities. And uh, Dixon, um, Dixon Jones has this whole uh, book that he's written specifically on entities. Uh, Bill Hartzer um, uh, has some great content on this. Uh, Bill Slowski uh, was one of my uh, heroes who, who passed away this year. Um, just did a lot of study of Google patents on entities. So if we can understand a bit of, of what topics and subtopics are interesting to people who are searching for what we're offering, which again is really easy. You can go out to the search results and you can look at the top 10 results for the keyword you want to appear for and scrape the titles and, and headings and subheadings from those competing pages to help and aggregate that information and help build your outline for the content that you want to have on your website. Now, you're not out in left field when you're like, hey, I'm going to write a page and hope it's going to rank when the top 10 pages all include three similar topics on their pages. So if we don't have that similar topic, there's less likelihood of our page, you know, being qualified to or even ranking for the, the, the keyword we really wanted to appear for. So taking the time to, to do that. Now, I've seen a few tools that, that can do this. Uh, the best one that I've seen that, that does it really well is a tool called Market Brew. And Market Brew is it's a very, very complex, very amazing platform. Uh, Scott Stoffer has been on, on uh, my own podcast a few times talking about his product. And it literally goes out to the search results and it scrapes uh, what appears. And then it starts to build up kind of a, a topic outline for you. And then it gives you percentages of how similar in, in topics and entities you are to the competing pages. Not not similar in terms of the, the content and what you're writing, similar in terms of the topics that are being mentioned on those pages. So if we can think about that and we can create a knowledge graph for it um, so that each of those entities very explicitly tells the search engine what a word is. So instead of just saying, okay, in my, my H2 tag, my subheading, I'm going to write compare wireless routers because I see that being used on other pages and I'll create some stuff on compare. Um, now what we're going to do is we're going to take the word wireless router and we're going to make that an entity and tell the search engines that this is wikipedia.org forward slash wireless router. Now it knows very clearly that this word that you used on the page is um, about wireless router. And we used compare 
Well, compare isn't really the topic that we want to appear for. It's the wireless router. Compare is, is a mention. So we'll use mentions, compare, and we'll do Wikipedia, compare. And you could probably do this 10, 20 times on your page to make it very clear to the search engines when we use a word, what that thing means. And thing is the actual item type. It's schema.org slash thing. So there's a lot more that we can do beyond just our outlining of having the short answer, having the table of contents to those sections so we get those jump to links and 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 pay attention to Google's passages update. Um, there's, there's more that we can do in the code to be very specific to search engines about what our content is, what, is it, what, it, what it's about, what it mentions, so that we can fall in alignment with um, their database of words and entities and make it very clear what we're about. So that's, that's where it gets really fun. And a lot of the testing comes into play with all those great structured data testing tools that are out there to, to goof around with. The one thing we didn't talk about, though, with content beyond just um, the, the words and the meanings and the intents of the user and making it clear to the search engines is the technology piece. And this gets really challenging, Norm, because we talked about video and images. Those can really hog up the, you know, the, the time it takes for somebody to load that page of content. And Google is really pushing us now on something they call page experience. And we're sort of being extortioned by third-party tools to use their tools to get our pages to, to perform uh, fast enough to meet those page experience guidelines. We're having to pay for content delivery networks and CDNs. We're having to pay for uh, WordPress tools for you WooCommerce folks like um, Nitro Pack, right? We're having to, to pay third-party tools to be able to get our pages to load as quickly as we want. But we can spend some time and work with our developers to figure out ways that we can load some content a little bit later. Do we really need all of the scripts that we're loading on our page to load the moment the page loads? Or can we delay them a few seconds so that the page can load to the user immediately and then a few seconds later add some of those tracking pixels, those tracking tags? Can we lazy load our images that are below the fold so that everything the user sees on their mobile device which, as you know, makes up for at least 60-70% of your users. In some industries, like restaurant chains, 84%. So everything that they need to see is right there, crystal clear, above the fold. And what they don't see happening is below the fold, those other images and assets and videos slowly loading their way in. So there's a lot of things that we can do on the technology side to make sure that we've paid attention to Google's core web vitals within their page experience update. There's a lot of things that we can do that could help users get the content they need quickly and the content that's, that we need from them <laughs> a little bit later on. So I think I think those are those different attributes. We talked about content um, and, and the, the different attributes of what goes into the, the template or the framework of your upper funnel link attracting page and some ways to get people to share with that cool little copy to clipboard icon next to your short answer. Uh, we talked about the... Uh, the technology need and the the user behavior signals of getting them to want to click uh, by using some really rich results. And I think I think the only other thing that we might have missed is the expert review piece of it to satisfy a little bit of of these expertise, authority, trust signals. The knowledge graph will do a little bit of that, but I think if you can get an expert, a true doctor, if you're selling a medical product or a product fashion expert, if you're selling clothing you know, to, to give you feedback on your product and your page and what you're saying. And you use the uh, reviewed by uh, as part of the, the schema.org to tell the search engines, hey, we had a, a professional 
who's trained in this area review this page and give us a product review that now has a star rating that shows up in the search results and isn't just a blue link and black text so our user behavior signal kicks into gear but it's also an eat signal for customers who visit that web page norm your mic is goofing out a little bit <laughs> i uh, i muted him for the time being so. uh no worries so yeah that's all that's all i was trying to get that last piece was was really just if we can get that expert review in there then then we've we've given some social proof to our customer we have a higher likelihood of converting that customer or that visitor into a customer um, and we've told the search engines that this has been expert reviewed so they can kind of draw an inference that maybe this page is is trustworthy because we've we've made it clear what the entities are and and we've had a professional review it so anyway that's that's my take on how to create a really good upper funnel page of content um, to draw in links build brand awareness and maybe even as a starting point to do some remarketing to bring them back to a product page later on <laughs> awesome uh, and let's see norm how is your uh, mic i think it's okay but this is a great way for me not to have to talk at all just steve you can come on and i'll just sit back relax and smile and wave uh, I like I'm talking too much. no no it's perfect and this is you know one of the things just listening to steve talk about all of this and if you haven't uh entered the contest today you're missing out because for anybody who's interested in improving or getting into content or understanding uh, your website even better, you're going to miss out on an incredible priceless giveaway today that uh, Stephen and his company is going to go through um, your website. So I, I guess the last thing, if we could just quickly go through it, because we did, we did touch on all of this. Uh, but I'm kind of curious about, okay, that format of the actual um, article or, or blog article. Uh, so you've got that piece out there. But there's all sorts of other types of content out there. You want to go get into that? Of course. And there's, we, we mentioned the universal search results. You know, you perform a, a query now. You don't just get blue links and black text. You get images. You get product listings. You get um videos you get uh, people also asked um there's so many other uh, types of results that your website could get more saturation in the search results for with a little bit of research and figuring out um you know, what is it google wants to display to users for some of these different search terms don't just punch in the top keyword take up a, a variety of them from your keyword research of the same group with the same user intent and perform some different searches to see exactly what um, what types of results appear, and then ask yourself, can I create something better? You know, and if I can, once I've created that that something better, can I work with my network of of affiliates and and um, associates and vendors to get them to be part of the sharing process, so that that Google recognizes that my content's the most helpful because other websites are sharing it, curating it. Um, mentioning it, referencing it, putting it in additional resources and reading, um, you know, maybe throwing out a shout out in a blog post to it. Uh, if you if you have those relationships, you know, with uh, similar verticals and vendors and partners that you work with, you know, collaborate a little bit and and uh, build yourself a, a kind of a micro, what's the word I want to use, tribe of folks that can help in the sharing process. So it's not just, you know, when a user gets to the page, they're one of many people over time that are going to help the page to rank, but instead immediately get those other partner sites to start, to start 
um, sharing and, and promoting it for you so that it amplifies the, the content itself and expedites how quickly you start to appear in search results because now you've got those votes you know from that third seo signal the relevancy being number one the popularity visibility off your website being number two and user behavior signals now they click and interact and ultimately stay on your web page as that user behavior signal very good we've got a bunch of questions that have come in and if you do have any uh, questions please uh, post them in the comments section but kelsey can we get to some of those please yeah, uh, before I do, just want a reminder to our listeners, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And uh, yeah, let's jump into some of these questions. Uh, first one is from Tony. Uh, turns out I have a ton of 404 errors on my site uh, due to discontinued products. What is the fastest way to fix this? Uh, well, it depends if you have if you have links, such, such a cliche thing for me to say, huh? It depends <laughs> if you have links going to those pages then I would consider redirecting them to the, the top level category. If you don't have any links pointing to them, then just let them die. Uh, and I know in the past, Matt Cutts, who's no longer with Google, um, you know, talked about 404s on, on products over time. Um, if that product's not gonna come back, let it die. If it is, if you're, if you're pretty sure it's not just a seasonal fashion, uh, fashion item like uh, a type of puffer jacket, then Leave the page up, and uh, what you do is you put a little opt-in that says, you know, hey, we're we're out right now, but be the first to know when we're back in. Put in your email, join our opt-in list, and make sure you put them into the right list so that they are the ones that get notified when that product's available again. Um, Bob's Watches does this with their waitlist. If you see some of their products, they'll be waitlisted because it's a really popular product. They just don't have any in stock right now. So rather than four or four the page. They keep it up and they create a wait list for it. Mm. And then what will happen in their product categories is they'll have all the, the live items that are in stock. And then below, they'll have you know the, the wait list items. So you have more variety of things to choose from if, again, these products aren't coming back. Um, and if if they aren't, um, if they are coming back, if they aren't coming back, then look look use a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush to make sure there aren't any links to the page and then just let them die. Um, and your system should do its, its own um, removal of internal links, unless you know you've you found in doing a crawl, you know, use a, a tool like Write R Y T E. Do a crawl of your website, and uh, if you see any internal links, maybe coming from a blog post of your own that you own, not just an inbound link, but an, an internal link, then just update that or remove it so that it goes away, and then the 404 should just disappear forever. As long as there's no links pointing to that page, there's no way for Google to find it. Um, and eventually it's, you know, it's, it's going to disappear from the search results when they realize, Hey, this product's not around anymore. But yeah, that's a tough one for products is what do you do? You know, do we, do we do a wait list? Do we, um, do we try to kind of trick users into thinking that's still live? And, you know, um, I would say, no, I would say just keep it simple. Um, let them die, clean up your internal links, maybe once a month or once a week. Have somebody on your team do that crawl through rights and look at the inbound links through Ahrefs and, and SEMrush. Do a little bit of link cleanup. It is kind of a tedious thing to do, but in doing that, you know, you've you've orphaned you know that URL and eventually it'll just disappear. Okay, next question. Okay, this one is from Coolhand99. Cool uh, I know <laughs> I know blogs on a site can help with SEO. But what exactly is it about a blog that is helping the algorithms find it? Is it the title, the body, the photos, the names, all of the above? Sure, that's kind of a two-part question. Um, I like to use blogs for news and updates and 
you know, if you read some of my old ebooks from like the 2000s, we use blogs as a, a sort of an SEO hack because they have an RSS feed attached to them. And there are websites out there that will take your RSS feed and syndicate your content. And if some of those websites consume HTML, that means all the links that you have in that content become backlinks to your website, which is why so many people back in the early days of SEO use blogs and a technique called blog and ping, P-I-N-G, as an SEO method to get traffic to their site. I know, I did it myself. But the reality is these syndication sites now um, aren't syndicating the HTML part of it with links. And if they are, um, those links have a no-follow attribute now and don't pass any page rank. So one of the reasons that blogs... Um, you know, again, are, are have been historically part of SEO is that the whole idea of RSS. So I, I've changed from that in, um, in that, you know, I know that those links aren't going to be as helpful. The, the curation of my, my content through syndication is, is going to get filtered into the omitted search results of Google and not really count anymore. So now I'm going to take my best evergreen content that I have on my blog and I'm going to move it to a page underneath the parent page that I'm trying to rank a tough keyword for. So if I'm trying to rank for puffer jackets, because we've using that example, then, and I've got an article on how, what, when, how, why, I'm going to nest that as a page, a supportive page of content underneath that category. Now, that doesn't mean during the, the you know, fall season that I'm not going to say fall puffer jackets are in and do a blog post about that because that's seasonal news type content that's good for the next couple months and it's relevant to users right now. It's not a sales page that's going to make somebody unsubscribe from your blog if they're subscribing. There are still people who use blog feeds and I'm sure you're seeing a lot of content in Google Discover if you're on an Android device like a Pixel. So I think it's really important to still have blog posts, but if there's if there's an evergreen element to a post, then you've you've got that whole kind of duplicate content challenge to work through since you want that to be helpful content underneath the right silo. So you take that blog post if it is going to be an evergreen page because you really want to share it and just make sure there's a canonical tag so that Google knows which version of that URL to put in their index and which one to, you know, to uh, display in RSS feeds and discover and so forth. So I think um, I think the elements that that search engines look for, of course, are going to be, um, you know, the the title and the heading and the descriptions, of course, are what, you know, users are going to respond to in, in search. Um, I think the the image attributes play a big role thanks to services like Discover and and um, thumbnails in uh, in RSS feeds. So having a unique non-stock image, one that you created or had created for you. Um, can play a big part of it, just like Kelsey's creating, um, you know, uh, video content for Lunch with Norm now, not just grabbing old screenshots or using stock images. They're creating unique, helpful, um, uh, you know, media that's really going to be helpful. I think that's going to play a big role in it, especially, and, and the best example I have for that, especially if it's, it's high definition. Bob's Watches literally has a studio on site in Newport Beach at their office, a full room with cameras and like 360 cameras and they take multiple pictures, then they send them off and those pictures all get merged together in this really beautiful HD image. And it's worth it because all of their products rank on page one. Very good. All right, and Norm, your mic again is still uh, being staticky. So I'm gonna mute you for a sec and uh, we'll jump into the next question. We just have a couple more left. Um, Tony, uh, should we change the file name of pictures that upload for extra SEO juice, like an alt tag? If it's a picture that 
has not already been indexed by Google, right? Pictures in, in the, the geek world are binary, right? There's zeros and ones. And if those zeros and ones are already in Google's database through Shutterstock or Getty Images or, or who knows, and, and you're using that image and just giving it a different name, it's probably not gonna be very helpful. But if you're creating your own image that's not already on the web, it's not already in a, an image database somewhere, and you save it as you know keyword.jpg, yes, absolutely. In fact, I had a, a fun test I did. If you remember a, a site called Ask Jeeves, right, or ask.com, Ask is still around, but Jeeves is dead, right? They retired him. He was somewhere on a sunny beach somewhere, you know, just dreaming about keywords and drinking a Mai Tai. And um, what was funny is they had Easter eggs. And one of the Easter eggs was, does Jeeves have an evil twin? And when you did that search, the interface would change and he would be the like this devil evil twin brother. And so we did this little test and just started with some different things like the name. So I created my own version of that old devil image that was disappeared, that disappeared from the web. And um, and then I optimized it and didn't do anything on the page with titles, descriptions or anything at first. I just named it does eat does dash D Jeeves dash have an evil twin JPEG um, uploaded it to the, the site. And then within a couple of weeks, I saw my image in the search results. In fact, if you do a search in Google Images right now for does Jeeves have an evil twin, you might see my little, you know, uh, logo show up, you know, as, as uh, you know, an example of that. And so we did that. And then we also played with the metadata. Uh, we did some work where we just basically took the image, we right clicked, we went to image information where it had um, title and description and keywords and author and uh, publisher, owner, trademark, all that kind of stuff, copyright. Uh, we filled out all that information, re-uploaded it, and then did some queries for some of the words that we used in it. And at the time, this was years back, they actually crawled it. They actually crawled that information and it did help uh, to appear for some of the different queries that we ran in Google Images. Having an alt tag, of course, helps as well. Putting that image into your image sitemap, using schema.org forward slash image object, capital I, capital O, um, so that Google knows explicitly that, you know, that's an image object and something that they can put in their database. Using a little bit of that, that thing uh, with, uh, with entities to tell the search engines when we're talking about ask, we're talking about wikipedia.org slash ask underscore com or whatever it is. Um, and, and then that image can now show up in Google uh, image search results. We, we did a test with public storage years ago and uh, we rolled out image changes across the board and we did a test first to see um, from 100, I think we did like 200, like 200 locations where they appear in organic and where they appear in, in um, Google images. We renamed them all, these are their images, and we renamed them all uh, based on self-storage dash, you know, whatever the location was. I think we did the full address. And after the test, within about two and a half weeks, we saw our, our uh, location images showing up in Google Images where they hadn't been previously. And we saw a 20% lift in the organic results uh, because now our, our page had more keyword-rich media. So I think the image name uh, is a fantastic starting place. But there's so much more that you can do for image optimization to make that even even more helpful to search engines and users. Right. Well, I can tell you right now that you are number one for the Ask Jeeves. Uh, does Jeeves have an evil uh, twin? <laughs> I'm You're number one. I'm number one. one. <laughs> um, and what was the schema link? Uh, it was oh, the schema.org forward slash image object, capital I, capital O, image object. OK, perfect. And Norm, uh, let's see if you're good to go. Uh, I don't know anymore. Nope. <laughs> it's uh, it sounds like a buzzer. 
Like I'm waiting for it to be like, okay, here's my answer. Oh, I'm wrong. Oh no. Yeah, wrong. exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. This is the first. Um, okay, so I think uh, we've got a couple more questions that have come in. Steve, are you good for time still? Or yeah, I think so. If we okay. Yep. So this is from. Uh, let's see who this is from. Uh, this is from Yanni. Uh, how many keywords or characters do you recommend putting in the meta tags? Hmm. Well, I, I use a preview tool. We have one on our website. This we call it like the, the ultimate Google snippet tool. And there's a bunch of them out there that you can play around with. Um, use those tools so that that you make sure you don't go over the pixel limits of what's available in the in the title itself. Um, meta descriptions kind of controversial because I've seen um, three, four rows show up in search results sometimes. Other times, you know, we see up to you know a, a specific fixed number of characters. Um, in terms of how many keywords I put in there, I don't think it's as much about the keywords. I try to get my most important keyword into the title, and then I use a call to action and, and a value proposition to try to get them to click. The days of keyword, pipe symbol, keyword, pipe symbol, keyword, pipe symbol, brand, right, died in the in the 2000s, and I still see that garbage in the search results, and it's no wonder that they're you know not in the top three. So be conversational. Voice search is real. It's happening. It's still slow. But it's happening. Be conversational and and solve problems and use um, you know use cues that that really help with the users um, trying to find my example title tag principles. I didn't put title tag principles best page to learn about title tag principles. I did um, use these title title tag principles to boost CTR and improve keyword rankings because I know that it's things not strings and that they're not really interested in title tags they're really interested in boosting their keyword rankings or their their seo and and their ctr right their click-through rates so figure out what the user intent is get your keyword in there and solve for that user intent and you want a trick go to your reviews and look what people are saying and aggregate all of the reviews and come up with some themes what are the number you know the the top three things that customers are saying about your product or service that you can use in your title or description the description isn't even get used by search engines from a keyword standpoint. The user might see what they're looking for bolded in there, but the uh, Google's made it very clear that we don't use keywords and meta descriptions as a ranking signal, which is a great opportunity for you to summarize your page while also including what are those what what those key call to actions are. For ecom, a lot of times free shipping, free shipping both ways worked really well for Skechers. Um, there's um, what is it? Uh, cool things that you could do, like you could put a promo code in, right? And say, use promo code, whatever. And then they get to the page and like, it's not on the page, right? And, and but it's there just in an image or embedded somewhere. Um, but it, it gives them something to go back. They click, they want that promo code. Um, anything that you can do to, to give them an incentive. Again, figuring out what they need. How can we get you to buy this product? And you, you ask a thousand of your customers and you know 500 of them come back with a common theme. Throw that theme into that meta description because that's that's something that is is uh, focused around what your customers want and less about trying to optimize for a keyword. All right, awesome. All right, Norm, did you uh, change anything? I hope. <laughs> All right, I think we're good. There we go. Good. Uh, all right. So for our very last question, then we'll go to the wheel of Kelsey from Tony. Uh, for new blogs, should we have an outside link to an authority site? For new blogs, can you have an outside link? Like, can you link out from your blog post to an authority site? I think so. I, I think from your, your upper funnel pages, absolutely. 
In fact, that was probably one of the, the elements that we didn't mention in you know our, our ideal page outline for an upper funnel is if if you can link to to real data sources to cite your your comments. So if you're a medical site, and the best example I have of this is Healthline. If you do a search for like um, Healthline Keto and you look at one of their keto pages, what you'll see is internal links using text to other pages and external links using bookmark type links where it's just one, two, three, four. So you're not giving away keyword uh, votes to external websites. Instead, you're using just numbers to link out to authoritative websites to show that it's proof. So we, um, we've we seen tests where we added uh, 2.edu and onegov link to an upper funnel page um, pointing out to those, you know, two edus and one gov, and we actually saw the page move up. I mean, the whole reason, you know, Google has a spider is to crawl the web, right? Why create a spider trap where they can't really leave, right? And um, and continue to crawl the web. That's the whole nature of the web is a web. And if you break the web by not having external links, how is that going to be helpful? So I think I think it's a great idea to help with expertise or you know uh, authority trust signals, uh, as well as to keep the web the web and you know a great way to uh, to provide additional resources for your your visitors and know that you're not just uh, you know putting fluff out there okay i think that's it Kel. thanks again this has been fun thanks for letting me just yammer on and on about content <laughs> i love it i love it you know learn learn a ton oh there was I've got a question about, uh, you mentioned something about the Google something gallery. I've never heard of that before. Can you tell me what the that Google was? Rich, uh, Rich Results Gallery. Um, it's, Google it's where they, Rich Results mm -hmm. Gallery. It's where they, they give you all the different ways that, um, hey, my Google's talking to me. No, Google, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, I, Alexis. Uh, uh, right? So, so um, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I, th I think, yeah, I think there's, well, we, we're talking, I got distracted by my Google over here. What was the question again, Norm? Uh, it was about uh, the Google rich. Oh, yeah, the rich results. So rich results are amazing because there's so many cool things that you can test. There's speakable, right? There's a speakable markup that you can use, um, you know, where it reads the page. There are um, FAQ page where you can put, you know, uh, FAQs into the search results, events. So for every, like, IHOP event, that happened. We tried to get every single location page to have the the event link and the dates of when it happens, um, you know, and, and just a quick name for that event in the search results. We have blue link, black text, and then event, and it was really cool. So I would say explore those different uh, rich result uh, gallery ideas to see what might be appropriate for your brand. You don't need all of them. I know aggressive digital marketers like do everything. I'm like no, just test test the ones that you think are going to be the most helpful for your users. Because if Google shows the opposite, another one that you're using in that gallery, and the other would have done better, then you know you're you're just overshooting the mark. So pick one or two and and throw them out there. Whether it's FAQ, whether it is um, you know using uh, you know any new thing that they introduce into that gallery, use Visual Ping, Visual P I N G, a free tool that you can use up to five, I think, um, and and monitor that page so that when they do add more examples to that gallery, you'll be the first to know about it. But it's a lot of fun to explore and play with and it makes your results really stand out. And if you stand out and they click on you more often and they stay on your page because you care about privacy, accessibility, page speed and, and conversion rate optimization, right? We all do. Um, then Google long-term is gonna look at that page as being the most helpful 
and our rankings will be sustained. Fantastic. Okay. That's it. You are off the hook, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the next time I'll be seeing you, you, your beard will be almost as long. We'll see if I'm, if I'm lucky. Yeah, there you know, we go. You, you've really got that that sexy beard going on, Norman. I got to I got to get there. My wife is just like, yeah, it's it's getting there, but it's not Norm's yet. And I'm like, <laughs> I gotta I gotta give it some time. But you'll sure. you'll get there. You'll get there. Mm -hmm. So thank you. And if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with you or the company or take sure. any courses, how do they do that? I'm the easiest to find is just SEO Steve everywhere. You can talk to anyone in my, my small group of 10 over here by going to any social profile with Wiedemann, W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N. We do have that academyofsearch.com um, and we do have that promo code if you want to you know take that $600 course for free. Just use SEO Steve, one word, S-E-O-S-T-E-V-E, and you can get free access and save yourself 600 bucks, roughly based on some of the courses I teach at uh, universities like uh, Cal State Fullerton and UC San Diego. So enjoy. Well, that, that's awesome. So there's a freebie from Steve. That's just another reason why he's so awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, everything that you've heard today, if you want to learn even more, uh, take the Academy of SEO. So 600 bucks saving is zero free. You can't get better than that. Okay. I think it's that time. Oh, no, we got one more sponsor. Then we'll head over to the wheel. Kelsey. All right. Just uh, give me one second. Any oh, any time. Yeah. yeah. This is why you're worth what you're paid. <laughs> I want to give a quick shout out to an incredible group of sponsors who help keep our podcast running. The Lunch with Norm podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of the following sponsors. Post Purchase Pro, Clear Ads, Goldstein Patent Law, Honu Worldwide, Netfluence.co, Video Telepathy, Startup Club, and Dragonfish Brand Management. I just want to let our sponsors know, you're awesome. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, there we go. Now it's that time. All right, and Steve, if you have to get going uh, for a meeting at all, just uh, let us know, and you're uh, you're good to go. You can head out. But if you're if you're able to stick around, then uh, that'd be great. I can hang for a second. Okay. All right, all right. Here's the wheel of Kelsey. It's time for the wheel of Kelsey. All right. Thank you, everyone for entering today's Wheel of Kelsey. I'm gonna shuffle up these names. We've got a ton of entries today, and uh, let's see who today's winner is. Did you add us? I did not. Thanks. I did not this time. And it looks like it's oh. Marsha. Marsha, all right. Congratulations, Marsha. Again, reach out to us at k at lunchwithnorm.com to get your prize and you'll be all set amazing steve thanks again hopefully you can come back soon and talk more seo anytime norman i'm i'm your backup so if anyone ever uh you know gets in a, a whatever and can't make it please call on me and we can talk search and content and ecom all you want to perfect all right, I know you got to go. So thank you again for coming on. You were awesome as usual. Thanks as always. Have a great one. See ya.
Thank you.